Dr. Renee James was raised outside of Brisbane, Australia. She developed an interest in veterinary medicine, and after deciding to forego becoming a chopper pilot, at least for now, she earned her veterinary degree with honors from the University of Queensland in 2003. She entered mixed animal practice after graduation and soon after recognized that she had an interest in using integrated modalities with her patients. She studied homeopathy and then earned a graduate diploma in veterinary Chinese herbal medicine from CIVT. During this time, she had transitioned into exclusive small animal practice. She partnered with Dr. Henry Stevenson in 2015. They co-founded their integrated practice, The Natural Vets, in Forest Glen, Australia. That practice has grown to employ six veterinarians and offer a wide range of holistic modalities. Their tagline fits their practice philosophy perfectly. At the Natural Vets, we do normal stuff differently. Dr. James uses nutrition, homeopathy, and Chinese herbal medicine, and has a special interest in dentistry, palliative care, integrative cancer care, and client education. She has spoken to the Integrated Veterinarians of Australia group on vaccine titers, minimal vaccine protocols, and integrative veterinary oncology. Please enjoy this conversation with Dr. Renee James as we discuss her education, her interest in holistic treatments, her practice experience, and her thoughts on managing a thriving integrative veterinary practice. Dr. James, thanks for taking the time to talk today. Thanks, Neil. Nice to hear from you. So where did you grow up? Uh, I grew up in Brisbane on the east coast of Australia. Yeah, small little suburb called Banyo on the north side of Brisbane. Did you have a lot of pets growing up? I We lived in a suburban area, so we always had a dog. We had two dogs for a while, and uh, my brother was a big animal lover too, so he usually had fish or snakes or something uh, as well in his room, and uh, we grew up with cats too. And then my dad was a bird lover, so he usually had a budgie or he went through a phase of keeping domestic pigeons as well. So, yeah, there was oh, always something to look after. The pigeons sound fun. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was. They used to make a nice little cuckoo noise in the backyard in the aviary. It was lovely. Oh, wow. Yeah, that mm. sounds great. So when did you th think that you wanted to be a veterinarian? Uh, it was a process for me. I grew up, uh, my best friend lived over the back fence and her dad was a veterinarian, uh, but he didn't have such a glamorous veterinarian job like you, you know, would learn about in, in the books. He was, uh, he worked for the government in sort of sheep research. So I didn't necessarily bond with the idea of being a career vet in my youth, but I'd always had a bond with animals that was strong. And then I went through high school and always loved learning and applying myself in that regard, but it was very unclear when I finished my schooling what I wanted to do. I uh, thought I'd become a chopper pilot for a while and started going down that avenue, but then met a friend who'd just come back from the UK traveling over there working as a vet. And I thought, oh, well, I love animals and I want to travel. Why don't I explore that option? And so within 12 months, I was at uni studying vet science. Did you like it? Loved it. Yeah, loved the degree. There was so much to learn. There was always something interesting. Uh, and um, yeah, great bunch of people to study alongside as well and lots of fun pracs to do. So yeah, it was, it was a great time. Did you uh, know what kind of medicine you wanted to practice when you got out? I did. I always thought I'd start in mixed practice, which is what I did end up doing. I went to country practice for a while, uh, basically to sort of get a little taste of everything. Um, but I also had in the background of my mind, I, when I was growing up, I'd actually thought that I'd become a naturopath. And so 
um, it was sort of, yeah, just an inkling in the back of my mind that there was something other than conventional medicine out there. But when I first graduated, I didn't really know what I was going to do with that thought. How big a practice did you go into after you graduated? Uh, it was small at the time, but it grew fairly quickly. So it was a, um, a startup practice with two other vets, one of which was off on mat leave. Um, so they were, they were a couple and it was basically me and one vet nurse and the other vet um, sort of out on the road quite a lot uh, at the time when I started. But uh, over the time that I both worked there and lived in the area, it grew to become a yeah, much bigger practice with multi-vets and three other branches as well. A lot of work and a lot of on-call probably, huh? Absolutely. Yeah, yep, the on-call on weekends and overnights and, yeah, mixed practice getting called out to all sorts of things, unexpected things was, yeah, it was an interesting learning curve. Did you feel like school prepared you for that? Not in the slightest. (laughs) I mean, I did my best and, um, you know, I think – School does its best, I think, by supporting you to just have an inquiring mind and not necessarily know all the information in your brain but know where to go looking for it. Um, And so I was able to work that out pretty quickly that, you know, even if I didn't have the answers, I I would know where to look for them and then be able to just go through the process and and solve a problem that way. Oh, that's good. Yeah, I was definitely thrown in the deep end doing emergency work and, you know, gastric tubes on horses and pulling calves out of, yeah, cattle having issues calving and all that sort of stuff. Uh, How long were you at the practice? I was there for about 15 months and then I moved into small animal practice from there. Uh, close by or did you did you move cross country? Or? Yeah, I moved to a coastal area that was about 45 minutes from my first practice. And then from there, I ended up in an inner city pr- practice in Newcastle, which was all small animal as well within another uh, year or two. So did you ever entertain the uh, idea of traveling like your friend had? I always thought I would, but funnily enough, I never did. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I've done a fair bit of just um, fun travel, but never ended up traveling and working on a working holiday. So when did you start uh, thinking about holistic medicine then? Very early on. So yeah, within at my first job in the country practice, um, I really quickly realized the limitations of conventional medicine. The the one case that really stands out in my memory was a, a young alpaca. Her name was Poppy and she was just a delight to treat. But she had this uh, chronic abscess on her face that we just could not seem to fix and we tried all sorts of different antibiotics and uh, cultures and um, yeah, surgical drains and it was such a process and really awful to sort of watch this uh, sweet little thing going through all of that intervention and not being able to find the solution. And I had started on yeah the sort of journey already of I'd, I'd, I'd started some homeopathy training at that point. So I got in touch with um, who I would call my mentor, who I'm now working alongside, Dr. Henry Stevenson, and just discussed the case with him. And we talked about some remedies and I ended up using homeopathic remedies on Poppy and fixed abscess uh, more quickly than, yeah, anything else that had all failed me. So that was a real wake-up call of the power of natural medicine and what could be achieved with it. And so I just continued on the path from there. Had you started studying the homeopathy while you were still in school or after you got out? After I got out, yeah. So within my first year of practice, I started on the homeopathy training, which was uh, offered at the time in Australia through uh, the British Homeopathy Teaching Group. Mm. Was Did you have any exposure in school to natural therapies? One lecture in five years. Ah. <laughs> yeah. 
wasn't so, a big part of the curriculum, still isn't. <laughs> how uh, how prevalent was homeopathy when you decided that that's that's where you wanted to start? Uh, not prevalent at all, and I didn't really know much about it either. My you know my parents hadn't used it. I hadn't grown up around it necessarily, but I just really wanted to study something in the field of natural medicine, and it was the only certified course I could find at the time. So I just started there. And yeah, really fell in love with, you know, what it teaches you with regards to looking deeper for the causes and the healing process and what's actually going on with the body. And so that that was sort of my first starting point and that led me down the rabbit hole. So were those were was that training in person or did you do that remotely? Uh, mostly in person. So yeah, every quarter we'd have teaching groups um, with sort of week-long uh, studies, study groups. And then in between there would be your just your online study as well and over a two-year sort of time frame. Yeah. So you're working in the mixed practice. Were you able to, besides uh, Poppy, were you able to put it to use in other cases then? A little, yeah. So that was one of the reasons I left the practice was they, they weren't overly supportive of homeopathy in particular. They were more open to Chinese herbal therapies. Um, so I went to a small animal practice but, um, you know, subsequently discovered that practice owner wasn't particularly um, – on board with it either. So my third job was in a inner city practice in Newcastle and the director of that clinic was very pro-natural therapies, wasn't utilising him, them himself within his clinic but really wanted to be able to offer that because he'd experienced the benefits himself within his own family. And so that was where I was able to, yeah, utilise it a lot more in my patient care and, and um, make a little bit of change on the basic things in the practice as well, as well around nutrition and vaccine protocols and things like that. Oh, that's cool. So mm-hmm. you started treating using homeopathy in your cases. Did you had classmates then you were still in contact with? You could bounce things off of? Or? Yeah, I kept in contact with a few. Um, I was always in contact with Henry over the years. So he he's always incredibly generous with um, teaching people with his homeopathy wisdom. And by that stage, I'd also started studying Chinese herbal medicine as well. And so I was a member of the CIVT forum and was able to just keep in touch about cases that way too. What uh, what drew you to, to uh, Chinese herbs? Uh, again, it was just another, I guess, um, tool that I could add to the kit. I did an introductory course. And once again, the, the sort of philosophy of the teaching and that deeper understanding of the, you know, the connections in the body and how everything works together as opposed to, you know, such a separate model in conventional medicine really appealed appealed to me. And, yeah, started using it in practice and saw the benefits. And so just, yeah, kept going on that path as well. Do you feel like the homeopathy and the Chinese herbal medicine work well together? Yeah, really well. Yeah, I do love the combination. And I feel like the, you know, the underpinning philosophy of both is very similar as well. Um, and so they're, they're very complementary and, um, you know, have consistently used the two together in almost all of my patients, um, you know, depending on compliance since that point in time. So you were still at the inner city practice and, mm. and when you started with CIVT? Yes. And what sort of changes were you making for with uh, nutrition and vaccine protocols then? Uh, so I managed to get some less processed foods into the vet practice as well as a raw food um, program with the chest freezer and selling raw food. Uh, so, you know, when I first started there, it was all just your typical prescription diets over the counter kibble. Um, whereas, yeah, we were able to get some, yeah, less processed shelf stable foods and then the raw food as well. 
And then with the vaccine program, started to yeah, educate the team and incorporate at least a, a less frequent vaccine schedule. So we went very early on to the triennial schedule, which still wasn't supported by the ABA at that point in time, but it was um, part of the global guidelines. And um and in the odd patient, I was titer testing as well, but the clinic protocols weren't entirely supportive of the titer testing model at that point. So, yeah, we just sort of gently shifted through that triennial model as a first point. How many how many uh, doctors were in that practice? Four vets. Yeah, so uh, one was uh, the director and he was certainly more open-minded about the natural therapies, which was helpful because he ran the business. Uh, the other two were somewhat open-minded to it but um, not always um, supportive in every case. So, yeah, it was it was a little tricky working just in a general practice where you're the only vet kind of on the front line of wanting to practice natural medicine and not Gosh. really having, you know, any mentors on the ground there or people to, yeah, bounce cases off. So, I, I, yeah, I did what I could but, yeah, it was – I loved working there, great people. But, yeah, from a holistic medicine perspective, there was definitely some challenges. Would it be typical like it is here in the U.S. for practices to – do the just the prescription diet and the kibble very much so yeah right. yep yep and you know they were somewhat open-minded to changing over to the raw foods but certainly it wasn't discussed with every case you know there was still a large proportion of pets that were just on your typical prescription diets and actually that was the practice where I was first really awakened to the potential downsides of uh, vaccines and the side effects was you know, just there's a case that really stands out in my memory of a an older schnauzer who um, had a history of having immune mediated um, hemolytic anemia and she'd recovered from the first bout and then I met her when she came in very critical with the second bout of IMHA and when I went back through her case notes I realised that she'd had a vaccine only a week prior to her presentation and, yeah, once again that sort of sent me down that, you know, rabbit hole of research and led me to all of Jean Dodd's research around, you know, what vaccines potentially could be doing to our patients and why we needed to be a lot more judici judicious with their use. Were you seeing for your for doing the natural therapies, were you seeing mostly patients that were coming to the practice anyway, or were you starting to get um, referrals from local practitioners or how, did, how was that working then? Mostly in clinic. Yeah. So most, most were sort of just people that were already coming there and um, some would then come back specifically wanting to see me because they, they actually really preferred that approach. Um, but sometimes it was just, you know, whoever was um, coming in on the day and then you know once again that was the challenge of sort of you know feeling out whether clients were even open to using some alternatives because it wasn't necessarily that they were coming there specifically for that reason if it was the first time I'd seen them. Sure and so how long were you at that practice? Uh, about five years I was there for yeah. And then where next? Then uh, we moved back to Queensland and I started working. By this stage I'd had, oh, I was pregnant with my third child and I started working for Henry. Um, so he was on the Sunshine Coast. I moved back to Brisbane, lived there briefly and um, would drive up and do just one and a half days a week for Henry so he could have some days off. And then uh, after I had my third child, we ended up moving up to the Sunshine Coast and um yeah, subsequently, Henry and I opened a clinic together. 
So was that um, a brand new operation? You said you were filling mm. in for him. How did yeah. that work? So yeah, he had a really small practice that he'd had for, you know, by, by that stage, nearly 35 years, uh, but with a very solid client basis who were mostly coming to the practice for natural therapy. So that was just such a blessing to finally be able to work in that environment where clients were open to it and, and actually wanting that sort of uh, style of medicine. And so, yeah, after some time uh, working there, an opportunity uh, came up for a bigger premises and so we decided to, yeah, start essentially a new business but most of Henry's existing clientele followed us to the new place. How far was it from the old place? Uh, about half an hour. Ah, Okay. Kind of significant, but maybe not. Yeah, pretty much everything on the Sunshine Coast is a half-hour drive. <laughs> so, gotcha. yeah. But, right. yeah, there was, you know, we lost a few that just wanted to see the vet down the road, you know, for ease and convenience and whatever reasons. But um, most people stayed with us because of the natural therapies. What therapies was he doing when you, when you started? When I started, yeah, predominantly homeopathy. Uh, that's always been his passion. But alongside that, he was using uh, some Chinese herbs, uh, Western herbs, acupuncture. Um, they were the main ones, yeah. And and see, talking to people a little bit about diet, but probably not as much as uh, I was very passionate about that. So we sort of slowly yeah, moved more and more towards that really being a, a priority for our cases as well. What did you were you doing any acupuncture then? No, I wasn't. And I still don't practice acupuncture. <laughs> it's one of those things that I always meant to go back and study, but now I've got a practice with five or nearly six vets, one's on mat leave, and um, my other vets and one of our nurses does acupuncture. So it's just it's become a time thing for me. As a mum with three kids running a business, I never had the time to go back and do the study. So I do little bits and pieces just from what I've learnt but um, from, yeah, my colleagues, but if they need a a proper assessment and an acupuncture treatment, I passed that to someone in-house. Was it, uh, how did you manage his patients when you were filling in his acupuncture patients? I just wouldn't use acupuncture as my modality. They'd need to come yeah. back if that was what they uh, wanted or, yeah, book on another day. Um, I'm just thinking about how it would be for you to, for you to approach a case as a as an herbalist and a, mm. and a homeopath. Just, it's a kind of a whole different uh philosophy almost, you know, when you, mm, when you, it when is. you have the, when you have those two together, that those yeah. are what you're doing. Yep. Yep. It is. And, um, yeah, I think our approach is always really about trying to look at how can we strengthen this animal as opposed to, you know, with the allopathic approach, I find most of the time, yeah, we are typically just trying to make a symptom go away, but not necessarily, really looking at what the root cause is and how can we strengthen the animal to try and heal that properly. Was there, I imagine you would have had a sense of uh, comfort coming into that practice when the, the clientele was already on board with that sort of thing. Absolutely. Yeah. It makes a big difference if you know people are coming to you for that reason and and particularly now because our branding and marketing is very much you know this is what we do um so people that call or come into the practice of has already essentially been screened by the nursing staff to be sure that that's what they want you know that yeah, that we're that we're all on the same page and we're aligned so when did you two start the you know, get the building and start kind of restart the practice uh so we opened the doors in august 2015 
that's not that long ago. No, seven, seven and a half years. Yep. So, so how fast did it grow? Yeah, pretty quick. So I opened it just with me and one vet nurse and Henry still had the other practice running for six months while the lease was, um, while he was still on the lease there. So him and one vet nurse and then he joined us six months later. So it was just me and Henry and two nurses. And so now we've got a team of 20 staff. So, um, yeah, five to six vets, um, depending on who's off on mat leave and, and the rest are all our support team. Do you recall the timeline and on how f- how fast and how many veterinarians you added? I mean, how how did that expand? Um, yeah, so the first vet we added was Nat, and she's still with us. She's on mat leave at the moment, and that would have been fairly early on. I would say I think I'd have to go back and check our records, but uh, within definitely two years, she was on board. Uh, then we had another vet with us for a while, Cassie, who's since moved to New Zealand. Um, she sort of replaced Nat essentially when Nat went off to have her first baby. And then um, we've sort of serendipitously found team members whenever we've sort of needed them, which is particularly lucky in the vet space the way it is with vets at the moment. But, yeah, we then found Catherine, who was a you know very experienced holistic vet who'd moved to Queensland from Sydney uh, for family reasons and ended up sort of starting with us on a temporary basis but has stayed. Um, and then Donna uh, moved up from Melbourne and she's got a background in more hands-on therapies, so chiropractic and osteopathic and rehab. So she's a great addition to the practice. Um, and then we've just recently started Nicole. So she's a young vet two years out who has, you know, very passionate about learning what she can do in the holistic space. So, uh, yeah, she's loving being immersed in, in a practice where that's the focus. How do your how do you, <clears throat> how do you manage or how do your nurses or re- reception staff screen people? Uh, how do they direct a new client to a particular practitioner in the in the practice? Mm, yeah, good question. Um, we do strive to. I think overall the approach is to try to bond people to the practice and our philosophy and the experience of coming in as opposed to an individual or a particular vet because we all work part-time so I think it's it's important that they have trust and rapport in what we're doing not necessarily who they're seeing Um, so we do yeah we talk a fair bit around that but also if there is a specific issue identified in the sort of triage call like for example you know they think it might be you know, chronic arthritis type of case or a spinal, then they're more likely to be passed to Donna because of her hands-on skills. Uh, Catherine has an interest in seniors and palliative care, so she's seeing a lot of those cases. Both Henry and I see a lot of cancer, so if it's cancer, it tends to end up with us. Uh, And Nicole seems to get everything else (laughs) because she's the young vet, so she gets landed with the skin and the behaviour and those sorts of cases that the rest of us don't always have time for because our caseload's busy dealing with all the more chronic um, end stage or, you know, tricky complex cases. Would you, would you ever find yourself sharing a case? Like for instance, maybe one you're working with that has cancer, but also has needs for manipulation? Absolutely. Yeah. We do a lot of in-house, you know, I think you should see Donna at your next revisit or, you know, it'd be great for you to see Catherine for this reasons when you, when you're due to come back. Um, Yeah. And we do try and have, you know, as much sort of team communication around tricky cases or who can help with what as possible, um, which is always a challenge trying to coordinate people, particularly outside of practice hours to sort of get together. But yeah, we're, we're getting better at that. 
Do you get together as a group of doctors to, to talk about cases or do you have time we, for that? Yeah, we, we actually had a dinner last night, which is the first one we've had for a while, but we're, we're aiming to do that quarterly and um, we've decided we also need monthly morning coffee dates going forwards as well, particularly with Nicole having started recently as a younger vet with less experience and the rest of us, you know, it's, it's – um, she has a sort of mentoring and training with us on the ground whenever we can fit it in and more formally with Henry once a week. But, um, yeah, having those just additional points of formalised contact as part of the um, onboarding program I think is particularly necessary for uh, the younger vets or the less experienced vets who are, who are just starting to dip their toes in. I bet that's really comforting for her to have that kind of support. Mm, yep. It, um Definitely, I think, makes it easier. I mean, it's very different experience to what I remember when I was trying to do it all, yeah, on my own with, you know, just someone to call, <laughs> phone a friend sort of a situation, <laughs> calling Henry when I had really difficult cases. You uh, you started studying natural therapies pretty soon after school. Do you, what do you think? Do you think you have to be – is it good to start early? Do you – like you've got this associate who's kind of just out of school. Mm. Um, you think you need to be a good veterinarian first or what do you th- – Hmm, I guess everyone finds their own path. For me, I became disillusioned very, very quickly with the conventional model and I don't think I would have remained a vet had I not started down the holistic path. Um, And, you know, it really opens your eyes to other ways of thinking and treating um, before you're sort of set in fixed Ways, so I guess there is more of an open-mindedness early, earlier on in your career potentially. Uh, but having said that, it's something that you could come to at any stage of your career and still find, I think, fulfillment and um, yeah, ways of looking at things that you may not have thought of before. Sure, I've got to think as a solo practitioner, and most of my friends are solo practitioners too. It's, mm. it's I'm jealous that you're in a group. Mm. <laughs> yeah, Donna came to us having had her own business for two and a half years and that was one of the reasons um, that she joined us was to have a team of you know like-minded colleagues that she could discuss what cases with and have more of that team experience. Um, yeah, it's quite unique, I know, in the holistic space because there's so few of us around the, the world that to have a, a you know dedicated practice where we're really focusing on that as uh, yeah, what we're offering. And, um, yeah, to have a team around you is, it's definitely unique. What do you think your success is? How, how were you able to grow the practice so that you could enjoy having a, a group so large? Uh, well, holistic medicine is such a niche space and there's definitely growing awareness around it from the public arena. I think the industry itself is very slow to change. So if you've got some training and skills behind you, uh, you know, it's kind of like what Kevin Costner says in that film, isn't it? If you build it, they will come. And that's kind of been our experience is uh, we opened a practice with a lot of conscious thought behind what we wanted the practice to be and what we wanted to offer and the sort of experience we wanted to be able to provide our clients and our patients. And um, it it is definitely different to what most people experience in the conventional veterinary model for various reasons. And so if you can build that trust and the rapport and, um, yeah, share your expertise in a way that educates people and they're comfortable with, with that approach, 
it's it's quite easy, I think, because yeah, with, there's so few of us to find, I guess what you'd call a target market. And you know, the Sunshine Coast is a relatively large region, but we have people that travel from you know wide distances as far north as Yapoon they drive down or out to Toowoomba or from the Gold Coast and beyond to come to our practice because there's there's so few of us out there and then we also offer telemedicine and video consults as well so that we can offer our services to clients that wouldn't otherwise be able to access it Australia-wide. Cool so how is the the facility the actual physical space, you you went into it with, you know, you and then Henry joined you shortly thereafter. Have you had mm. to expand the physical space? Did you anticipate the sort of growth that you had? No, we didn't. And so there has been some challenges and limitations around that because there's only so much building space. And because of, you know, certain types of council regulations and things, we've, we have definitely been challenged by even things like car parking space. And we looked at doing a sideways expansion of the building at one point, but we couldn't get that through council approval. So we ended up just sort of repurposing some of the areas of the clinic that weren't being utilized to their full potential. So, um, because we're seeing a lot of more kind of chronic palliative cancer type caseloads and less um, of your kind of acute illness hospital type cases, um, we found that we didn't have as much need for hospital cages, for example, as, as a typical practice would. So we've got an area that's dedicated to surgery and hospital, but we find that the cage space in there is, is typically adequate for our usual day's load of inpatients. So as a result, we've repurposed one of the rooms that was intended initially to be more of the you know recovery dog ward. It's become a sort of third consult room. And then we also had a, a dedicated cat ward that just was not not getting utilised uh, again to its full potential. So we uh, repurposed that to be a fourth consult slash uh, acupuncture treatment room slash cat um, consult room slash euthanasia quiet space. With the growth of the practice, and you mentioned the man- your management responsibilities, is that something that you carry all the time? Do you, do you rotate between some of you on who does management? How does that work? I carry I carried all the time and that was sort of how Henry and I um, by default agreed in the beginning because yeah, he's my business partner but he does a lot of the caseload and the veterinary hours and I've had to wind back from caseloads over time and take on more management as the practice has grown uh, and I've also appointed uh, a hospital sort of head nurse and, and a team manager. So we, we work together as a team to kind of manage more of the day-to-day operations and updates and HR things that arise. Um, a couple of our staff members also do a fair bit of the, the bulk of the admin work and um, we've found that that's increased over the years as well for various reasons and then um, I sort of take care of the rest as, and just get through that as best I can on a weekly basis with um, good organizational skills and working out what the week's priorities are and actioning what I, you know, what's most urgent. Oh, that's good that you have a team that can help mm. you with that. Yeah. Well, if I do my math correctly, you're, you're 20 years out now. I am. Yeah. I graduated in, uh, 03, 2003. Yep. Are you, ha- are you happy with where you're at? Would you change anything? Uh, I am happy. Yeah, I. Um, it's an interesting question at this point in time. I had uh, I had a few months off last year. I sort of experienced a pretty 
severe burnout. I had COVID earlier in the year and my adrenals just completely crashed and I really wasn't coping with the the mental and emotional and logistical load of both running a business and a household and a family and looking after a fairly big team. Um, so that was quite unprecedented in my life and I wasn't quite sure how to really deal with that at the time. But, um, you know, since come back to work and probably a little bit more clear around my boundaries of what I can take on day to day, but I'm, I'm absolutely loving being back at work and, um, yeah, rebuilding the, the team harmony and the focus on the clinic and what we offer and how unique it is and, yeah, the experience that we're always striving to provide to our clients and our patients. So not, not sorry that you're not a chopper pilot. <laughs> I'd still like to do that one day. <laughs> it's on the bucket list. <laughs> yeah, but I think there'll always be some aspect of veterinary work in my life as well. So your your immersion in natural therapies for your patients, how has that changed how you've lived your own life and your and for your family? Ah, uh, significantly. Yeah. So I grew up with a family that was very much just entrenched in the typical medical model. You know, if you got got sick, you went to the doctor and you were usually just prescribed antibiotics or uh, some variation of, of a drug. And yeah, I, I did work out at a pretty young age that that didn't really seem to be fixing anything. Um, and since, yeah, really learning a lot more in the homeopathy and Chinese herbal space around health and healing and nutrition as well, I've, I've applied all of those principles, raising my children with regards to, you know, what we eat and how we eat. And um, I've chosen not to vaccinate my kids. Uh, we eat a mostly plant-based diet and I treat them predominantly with homeopathy and, and herbs when they get sick, which is not that often, which is a blessing. And, um, yeah, it's, it's definitely, I guess, um, uh, it's, it's had a significant impact on, yeah, how I've chosen to live and, and raise a family. What are you doing away from work to help you keep your balance? I sing and I dance and I play music and I write songs. Oh, that's wonderful. Hmm. Yeah, and try and spend a bit of time in nature with my kids. And we've got a lot of animals to look after of our own. So cuddle the guinea pigs and hang out with the chickens. <laughs> Looking forward, do you have any um, goals for the practice or do you, you're just going to take it as it comes? Uh, we do set, I guess, sort of targets and goals. Um, you know, as a business owner, you've sort of always got to have in the back of your mind how the financials are going. So I keep my eye on those sorts of things and adjust as we go. Um, but a lot of the growth of the practice has really just happened organically. And, um, you know, there's things that I would love to do with, uh, you know, a more cohesive marketing plan, for example, um, getting releasing more ebooks having more time to write ebooks a lot of what we do is client education and that's an area that I'm passionate in um and then also you know integrative oncology um just really helping the wider community understand that if they have a patient with a cancer diagnosis they do have options because I think often in conventional practice um yeah, the options that are offered to them are, are usually very limited, but really there's a, there's so much more that we can do in that space particularly. Oh, for sure. Mm. Well, Renee, I think this is probably a good place to leave it. It's been wonderful talking to you. I'm totally jealous about your practice. 
you'll have to come visit us, come to Australia. <laughs> well, thank you. I would, I would absolutely love that. Thanks yeah. so much. Thanks, Neil. It's nice to Thanks speak with time. you. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. This podcast is made possible through the generous support of the College of Integrative Veterinary Therapies. ZIVT provides world-leading education in natural medicine, including three accredited postgraduate qualifications, industry-recognized certifications, and a wide range of evidence-based courses and webinars delivered by qualified and experienced practitioners. By bridging cutting-edge science and tradition, CIVT helps you to expand your treatment options to tackle your most challenging cases. And whether you're a veterinarian, veterinary technician or nurse, animal health professional, or someone who wants to learn more, they have the right course for you. Investigate their offerings at civtedu.org. If you're enjoying this podcast, we'd appreciate if you'd take the time to tell a friend and to give us a favorable rating on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks again for your support. We'll see you next time.